You might have heard the excellent book by Sam Albury uh, called Seven Myths of Singleness. I don't know whether you've, whether you've read that. And in that book, Sam Albury talks about meeting an old friend from school. Um, Sam Albury is someone who's single. And he asked his friend of hers how her children were doing. He wants to catch up with her family. And she said to him, Oh, they're married now, so they're sorted. Hmm, he wonders to himself. What about me if I'm not married? Um, does that mean there's something about me that's incomplete, that's unfinished, that's something of a concern? Uh, does that mean somehow I'm, I'm basically unsorted? That's not something you learn from 1 Corinthians. As, as we turn principally from talking about people who are married to talking about people who are unmarried. And it's worth recognising as we begin that that being unmarried is a lot of different things, and Paul won't cover them all here. Uh, Paul's again talking about something quite specific. Um, for some people, being unmarried uh, is because they're, uh, they're young and they're not really thinking about marriage yet. Maybe that's something that they want to put off uh, or might happen a bit later on in their lives. Um, other, time, other people might be uh, in uh, a relationship, they're going out with someone or they're engaged, but they haven't yet tied them off. They're unmarried. They haven't yet reach that stage of getting married. Some other people might be further on in life and they're unmarried for a number of reasons and that may all be um, the way uh, that they remain. But if you're unmarried, does that mean you are unsorted? That's the question. And 1 Corinthians says no, being unmarried is not second best. That's our first point. Being unmarried is not second best. You can't conclude that from 1 Corinthians 7. We saw that back in verses 7 and 8, where Paul says, Now to the widower and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Remaining unmarried is good, says the Apostle Paul. It is not second best. It is not being left behind. It's not being ignored. As, as someone said to me um, recently, you're not simply in the waiting room, you're in the living room. <laughs> And in many ways, that key point comes down in verse 38 as well. Have a look at that. This is what it says. Paul's um, talking about a specific situation, but he makes this point. Verse 38. So then, he who marries the virgin does right. He's talking about engaged couples. But he who does not marry her does better. So he's saying marriage is right, but being unmarried is better. And it's funny. He, you wouldn't read that off our culture, would you? You wouldn't know that that was true from our culture. We, we live in a culture that celebrates marriage with a diamond ring and a champagne and, and a big cake and, uh, and, and posh outfits and adoring speeches. But there's no unmarried celebration in our, um, in our culture, is there? There's no sort of single celebration to speak of. You wouldn't read that in our culture. It seems that marriage is celebrated a lot more than being unmarried. And you wouldn't always read that from our church culture, and this, and, and this should challenge us. Um, a few years ago, uh, we sent around a questionnaire to some people who are unmarried um, to uh, talk about some of their reflections of being an unmarried Christian. One person in church wrote this a long ago. It seems our church community, it's talking about Trinity, it seems our church community puts you either in the married or single box instead of just being in the human being box. People ask all the time, how are you finding singleness? Or 
are you okay? You're being single. Like it's a disease or something that people need to feel sorry for me about. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but it's true. Those are honest words, aren't they? Uh, but sometimes we can think that if someone's annoyed, something must have gone wrong, gone wrong somewhere along the line. So why is 1 Corinthians so insistent that being married is not second best? Well, that takes us on to our second section. We're going to spend uh, the majority of our time here, verses 25 to 35. And here's the point. Being unmarried is a good place to stay for some. Now, I, I think 1 Corinthians 7, perhaps, you know, perhaps you disagree with me. I think 1 Corinthians 7 is an exceptional defense of Christian freedom. As you go through 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying time and time again, this is good and that is good. There might be wise reasons for choosing one or the other. Uh, but Christians are genuinely free in this area. We're going to see that as we go through verses 25 to 35. Let's, um, uh, let's start in verse 25. This is what Paul says. Verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give it judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. This is Paul's wisdom that he's sharing with the Corinthian church. And this is his wisdom. And then in verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. In other words, consider saying you are married, unmarried, the secret to a great Christian life is not looking over your shoulder. In fact, Paul's made that point earlier on in the chapter several times. Verse 5, married couples, stay as you are. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. Stay married and stay in a sexual relationship. Stay where you are. Um, verse 8, widowed people, stay as you are. Now to the widower and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Because, verse 7, being unmarried is a gift and being married is a gift. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you've been born with some incredible superpower that enables you to be happily married or living in wedded bliss for the, for the whole of your life. You, you may not feel like that at all. I think what Paul's saying is that being unmarried is a gift and being married is a gift and that it's given to us in our circumstances, in, in God's providence, who's given us that situation. And everything good about being married or unmarried is ours right now. It's a different verse. Come forwards to, to the section from verse 25 then, you can see this starts to play out for people who are unmarried. Stay as you are, says Paul, says verse 27. Are you pledged to all men? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitments? Do not look for a wife. I mean, if, if you got engaged, uh, in, in the last few days, we can genuinely celebrate with you. That's a fantastic thing. But if you're unmarried at the moment, then this is the command to the church. We're not to constantly ask you when you're going to settle down and have kids. You know? That's not to be our way. You know, when are you going to find a nice man? And uh, when are you going to find a, a, a nice woman? Um, that's not a question that we're to ask to single people. We're not to suggest marriage partners to see unmarried people, unless they're asked us to do that. And we want to treat being unmarried as a problem that needs fixing, as if the marriage and baby club 
is the one that everyone's waiting to join. Let's not make that assumption. No, we're to say to Paul that marriage is right, but being unmarried is better. And Paul says that for two reasons. He's going to introduce those in the first paragraph and then explain further in the second and third paragraphs. Why can being unmarried be better? Here's reason number one. Because the time is short. The time is short. And Paul's talks in verse 26 about the present crisis and he goes on to explain what he means by it. And he sums it up at the end of verse 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. We would do well to think about that a lot more than we generally do. Uh, in, in every area of our life, not just the area of relationships. And, and Paul makes that point. Um, you see, uh, now those who have wives should live as, as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. You know that, that company we work for, that holiday island that we dream of, house on Upper Street that we would love to live in, that design shop just dripping with effortless style. It's all passing away. It's all passing away. All of it. There will be a time, maybe soon, when it will all be rubble and dust. Let's not dream about those things. And that affects everything we do. So what Paul says it affects the way we mourn. Are you missing a, a loved one who's died? Uh, it affects the place we find pleasure. It affects the things we buy and the things we use. Oh, and the way we marry. Says Paul. It, it, it's very, um, it's very striking, isn't it, in modern day London, to find someone whose status and security is so certain in Jesus that they can hold very lightly to the things of this world and the experiences that they're dreaming of. The world has a sell-by date, and we don't know what it is, but we suspect it could be very soon, and that's going to affect the way that we live. The world has a sell-by date. Even marriage in this world, according to Jesus. Um, did you know that? Um, none of our marriages will last in heaven. Matthew 22, 30, there's no marriage in heaven. So sex and marriage cannot be the ultimate experience. Let's not talk as if it is. So at the very least, when this world passes away, your marriage will end, and your proper marriage will begin. All of us will be married one day, as the church is married to, to Jesus Christ. And, and the world doesn't have a category for, for the kind of person who can be a virgin all their life and know that they're not missing out. It's a very powerful witness to what you know is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. We're, we're living in the last days, that's what the Bible calls them, and we know it's going to be hard. And Christians show by their lifestyles that they haven't settled down too much. They don't always need to spend time in a sexual relationship because they're citizens of someone else and they're waiting for a marriage to come. All of which brings us to the second reason, because marriages have divided concerns. That's, that's what Paul says in verses 32 to 35. Have a look down at those. Um, and here Paul's worried about our worries. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. Can you see Paul's love and his, and his pastoral heart? An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. 
how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the same for the woman. Verse 35, he's so equal, isn't he, in his treatment of men and women. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a wide way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. And the distinction here is between complexity and simplicity. That's the distinction. That married people, Paul is saying that for a husband or wife, their focus is, is, is a little bit more on the things of this world. And that's the way it should be. Paul says that, that in other parts of the Bible. It, it's not that you have more trouble as a whole necessarily, it's that you're called in more directions. So when you want to stay at work, or your wife wants you to come home, your life is more complicated. When you have to travel for work and your husband has to stay here, life gets more complicated. And, and if you have children and, and you have to take a baby to an at three in the morning or take a long haul flight with children under two, you don't need any of these things. Your life is very complicated. And, and your struggle might, might be to resent that. Don't, says Paul. Many troubles in this life was always part of the package when you walked up the aisle. That was always going to be part of being married. No wonder when Jesus talks about marriage in Matthew 19, the disciples conclude it might be better, it's given a miss. He's, uh, they say maybe it's better not to marry. And Jesus, who chose to be unmarried, of course, implicitly agrees married life is complex. And that means that there are some ways, we need to, I'll, I'll, I'll make some caveats in a minute, but there are some ways in which unmarried people can enjoy the simplicity of the unmarried life. It doesn't always feel very simple. But this is what Paul says. You, you, you can be more free from concern, verse 32. You can be more concerned about the Lord's affairs in verse 32. Instead of pleasing the Lord, verse 32, have undivided interests, devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. And it's good for you having undivided devotion to the Lord. And the question I was about, uh, a single person said this, we are pulled in fewer directions than those who are married and are therefore free to give more time to the Lord's affairs. And the same person, this is some of the benefits of, of being unmarried. You can react to situations more quickly, say for friends in trouble. You can stay away for extended periods of time. You can take on a different job more easily. And this person said that the struggle sometimes is not to use that simplicity to serve yourself, you get used to doing what you want and how you want and when you want it. And they said, well, I could be anxious about the things of the Lord. I can end up being anxious about the things of me. Very <laughs> honest, isn't it? And there can be a certain loneliness sometimes that comes on with being unmarried and other things too. But an unmarried man or woman, says Paul, can be concerned about the things of the Lord. And I wish Give great thanks to God for the ways in which unmarried people devote themselves to working in church, leading small groups, teaching the Bible, doing the hard work behind the scenes. When the married people can sometimes seem a little bit more destructive, praise God for that. What we're not saying, and this is the caveat, we're not saying that unmarried people are expected to be more godly or expected to work on it. That is not fair. But we are saying that I sometimes have opportunities that married people won't have. Married people, let's not always assume that unmarried people will do our babysitting if we've got children. 
But let's praise God when they do. All of which can be a record of understanding the relationship between married and unmarried people in the church. That's the principle. Marriage is good. Being unmarried can be better. Um, but what about the future? How do you decide if you're, if you're an unmarried person whether to get married or to stay unmarried if that choice presents itself more? And that's our final point just as we finish. And it comes from verses 36 to 40. Let's go back to the text. Make sure that you choose a partner wisely. This is what Paul says. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning, they should get married. The man who settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So that he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Can you see the freedom in this? And it's not entirely clear what the situation is in, in the Corinthian church. It seems to be that engaged couples, to be super spiritual, are being encouraged to put their Engagement on hold to cancel the wedding. Um, Paul says, You are incredibly free. You are incredibly free. It's like a lot of, good, a lot of biblical wisdom. It's like someone taking on a difficult job or, or making a big decision or deciding what career to do. You know what career's advice the Bible gives in terms of choosing what decision you're going to? Ephesians 4 Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, so being a thief is pretty much out of balance when it, when it comes to career decisions. But in terms of how we decide to find employment, that's, that's a wisdom issue, isn't it? That we have so much freedom. We've got, in the new year, and I'm really looking forward to this, we've got three weeks looking at the Bible on the theme of Christian freedom. And I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am. This is an incredible defense of Christian freedom. I mean, the Bible does give some clear guidelines on relationships. If you're sleeping with someone and you're not married, stop until you're married. If you're not sleeping with the person you're married to, start until you're going. If you want to marry, verse 39, make sure that they belong to the Lord. You see that? Christians marry Christians. That's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because it massively reduces the field. But please make sure, if you're considering someone to go out with the faith in the Lord, how, how could a biblical pattern of marriage work any other way? You want someone who's going to pray for you, someone who's going to show you grace, point you to Jesus, stand next to you at church, teach your kids that Jesus is the King. There's so much pain down any other route. Read Ephesians 5 and ask yourself, how could I do that with someone who wasn't a Christian? It doesn't work. Make sure you choose a partner wisely, a partner who is in the Lord. Well, there are lots and lots of questions that we haven't answered that you might have wanted me to answer, and do please feel free to ask questions to the panel. Um, you might want to ask, you know, apart from strong passions, what reasons are there to get married? That's a great, that's a great question. 
or um, if I'm unmarried, how am I supposed to relate to other unmarried people in the church without crossing a line? Or what about online dating? Any of those questions, feel free to, uh, to ask the panel um, and we'll aim to answer nicely. In the meantime, there are three things to think about as we've discussed questions around the tables. Firstly, let's stop thinking of being unmarried as second best, as, as a sort of mild disappointment, something unfortunate that happens to the unlucky few. Unmarried people are not in the waiting room, but in the living room as Christians. Secondly, let's start teaching people that marriage is good, but that being unmarried can be better. I wonder if that's the message that is picked up by our got children, uh, or our children, if we've got children. Are we brave enough to say to them, that if they never walk down the aisle, if they never give their parents grandkids, then that is okay. But we told them that. And then let's learn from each other. Let's, let's serve and extend hospitality to each other. Perceive unity together as we each serve the Lord together in the local church. Okay, thank you so much for all of your questions. Um, let's remind ourselves that um, in the same way that people's experience of marriage can be very, very different, even within a room like this, our experience of marriage will be very different. So our experiences of being unmarried will be very different as well. So let's not generalise, but let's search the scriptures to find out um, why uh, and how we're to live for God. Okay, um, so some, uh, we've got a lot of questions. We're not going to get through them all. Thank you so much for everyone who's brought a question to the front. Um, we've covered a, a lot of different topics here, but let's start with this one. Maybe, maybe quick answers. Um, how do you do? How do you do healthy friendships with members of the opposite sex when both are unmarried? What are some uh, What are some guidelines? Some ways um, that we can maintain healthy boundaries but enjoy close friendships. <laughs> I think you need to be wise about the time you spend with um, members of the opposite sex. So it's an obvious thing about you know not being alone and, and that sort of thing. Um, some other advice that people have given me, which I've not necessarily always followed, but it's it's good to have frank conversations about what is the nature of our relationship. BTR. Find a relationship. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think, I can't remember where it is, Jeremy, maybe you know, um, it might be in one of the Timothys, where we're meant to treat uh, treat Titus. each other as brothers and sisters. Um, Titus, there we go, Titus, thank you. Well, it was one of the T letters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I think that's a really, obviously, it, like, if you, you know, Things can get confused, so defining your friendship, if that, if, if that seems to be, if confusion seems to be arising, is a good thing to do. But also, just kind of accepting that, you know, um, unless otherwise said, my, my brother is my brother, my sister is my sister, um, and, and I think that's a good thing. I don't, I, I, want, I want to have brothers <laughs> in the church. Um, I want to be able to have a conversation with a brother um, and, and because I need, you know, I need my brothers, I need my sisters. Um, so I don't want to feel scared away from that because I'm fearful of doing the wrong thing. I think 
men need women, women need men, um, and, and I think we need to, God has given us each other to enjoy each other as brothers and sisters, and if it seems like something is headed in another direction or expectations are headed in another direction, it is good to have that conversation. Um, I think it's also very good not to get into a situation where you are de facto boyfriend and girlfriend um, without ever having had a conversation. Um, uh, and if, if someone needs to take the responsibility for kickstarting that, if that seems to be happening. Sorry, that was not true. <laughs> no, but very helpful. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I, I think we sort of asked this question, but it's a very good question. Um, so um, let's put these two together, and um, Dawn, I'm going to ask this one first. Um, so why does one get married as a believer? What are the, what are the reasons, uh, apart from ones we've already seen? And what about marrying a non-virgin? Um, thank you. Taking that first one, why does one get married as a believer? I mean, in marriage prep, we go back to um, Genesis, um, Genesis 2, 24. Um, that beautiful poem there, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I should have called woman because she was taken out of mine. That's a statement of equality, different than status, but a statement of equality. It's a beautiful poem. Um, but it's also um, one flesh. Adam and his wife both ended up they felt no shame. So, um, but especially, it's um, the question is, will I be able to serve God better with this person than or without? Because Adam and Eve are given work in the garden, which is to look after God's world. And the ultimate aim of marriage is not to look into each other's eyes and consider each other's beauty for the rest of our lives. It is to honour God and to care for his people and to serve him together. So will, by getting married to this person, will I be able to do that more fruitfully and will bring more glory to God? That's the question to ask at the beginning. Sorry, I'm just checking so that's all right. I, I mean, okay. And um, what about marrying a non-virgin? I think um, in that situation, um, anyone who is in Christ is in the creation. That person is repentant. Um, they are before the Lord in that, and you are free. Yeah, I second all of those things. Thank you. Um, good. Okay. Uh, we'll need to move on. I'm sorry. We've so we've so many great questions here. Um, perhaps um, uh, we could ask this. Um, so, what does one Corinthians seven help us think about dating? And I know I brought up this subject, but I think it would be useful to say a couple of things about internet dating. Um, is that a good way forward for a Christian? Um, I think uh, so I think it's definitely a possibility um, I think that you as with all things in the Christian life need to think carefully about the reasons why you enter into that you want to pursue um, online dating um, I think one of the big dangers of online dating is it happens in a vacuum so you meet someone um, that you've never met before um, and you don't know anything about their life and they don't know anything about your life. They don't know the people, they don't know your church family, um, uh, you don't know their church family because I'm just, I'm going on now if you're a believer, we're going to 
assume that you're looking for data Christian who can help you serve the Lord. Um, and so I, I don't think it's something that we shouldn't do. I think it's something we have to be incredibly careful about doing and incredibly wise about doing because it's possible lots of people like themselves as Christian on dating websites and they're not, or not particularly, um, maybe just by tradition. Um, uh, and it's just easy to do the whole relationship without any um, recourse to your church family and people who know you, people who can keep you accountable. Um, uh, there are obviously people in this room who met through online dating and that's a real process. That is a wonderful thing. Um, so is it is it possible to do it? Yes, absolutely. Do you have to be really wise about doing it? Yes, most definitely. Find some people to keep you accountable. Um, and, and the other just quick thing I'll say is that it's very easy to, to kind of, as you're sort of reflecting on profiles, to um, to treat people as less than people made in God's image, um, and to be incredibly judgmental or to treat people badly just because you they're just you haven't met them, <laughs> they're a, a person that you don't know, um, and and I don't think we want to do that either. We don't want to um, behave unkindly towards people um, and, and less of people's feelings either. And so and that's the other side of the caveat. I don't think other people have heard anything. Um, yeah, I don't have anything on dating, but um, I guess on dating generally, um, I guess the purpose of dating is to find a partner, a partner for life. Yes. So, um, that, and that's the mind frame in which you enter dating, I guess. Um, and we had a lot of discussion around whether you know, Christians should date non-Christians, um, which I think is unwise given the purpose of dating is to find a, a, a spouse. Um, uh, and one Corinthians speaks to the challenge to have where um, a believer is married to an unbeliever. Why would you um, enter into that um, intentionally? Um, so, yeah, the purpose of dating is to find um, another believer um, to be as well. Thank you um, very, very much indeed. Well, let's come on to that because um, we've got um, quite a number of questions there um, about going out with an unbeliever. Um, and both in terms of um, are we are we really not free to go to marry an unbeliever? Why is that? Um, what if they're of a different faith? Does that make it um, more understandable? And then how does the church best respond in a situation where a Christian is pursuing a relationship with an unbeliever? We've got two questions about that. How do we respond um, if someone's in a Christian, non-Christian relationship? Um, so, John, shall I start with you on this? I'm slightly lost track of the first question. Um, uh, am I, is a believer free to marry an unbeliever? I was just looking down in our passage today. Can you help me with the, with the verse? I think... I think That's 36, I think. 36, 7, 36. Uh, sorry, 39, end of 39. 39, yes. He, um, if her, her husband dies, if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Um, I would take that to be paradigmatic, that, that that would be a situation where the person, um, it is right for the person to only seek a Christian to be married to. And I think that especially the purposes of marriage in Genesis, which are to serve the Lord and together and to be able to um, 
care for his people together would mean that that could only be, and also you would be belong to different kingdoms, um, one for right and one not, um, and one that one person doesn't belong to God. You couldn't be united, and you couldn't be united in, in that in the Lord Jesus, and you couldn't have that at the centre of your marriage um, and the care of your children to be um, in the gospel. And that is a great and huge sadness. Um, um, all, I, all I'd say is uh, read Ephesians 5, um, a picture of Christian marriage, and ask how could you do that with someone who wasn't a Christian? Um, it, it won't work. And, and it's not just a case of a marriage partner being happy for you to go to church. Um, this business marriage partner is going to want to present you spotless. He's going to pray for you. He's going to encourage you all the time towards Jesus. He's going to open the Bible with you. He's going to love you as they love themselves. He's going to give uh, themselves up for you in a kind of agape love that only Christians can express. Um, and um, I know it's hard, and I know it reduces the field, and I know um, that um, you know sometimes uh, you can look around church and think, "Well, there's no one here that I I can envisage marrying." Um, but um, Ephesians five is such a beautiful picture of Christian marriage, and it's so functional. And I can I can say that from experience. You wouldn't want to give up on it. Yeah. Just also, to, I think to say that I've been thinking about those of us who've had the privilege of looking at Mark's gospel um, over the last few weeks, um, and Jesus's call to his disciples to pick up their cross and deny themselves. And obviously, there's a there's a lot about whether you're married or unmarried. It can feel um, and, and, and obviously the experience of being unmarried, um, I've, I've been unmarried for the whole of my life, um, and the experience of being unmarried does change the, as you go through the years. Um, and there are times when you just assume that it is ahead of you, and then there's times when you go, oh, maybe it's not. And then there are other times when the struggle feels very difficult. Um, and then there's times when you're like, oh, okay, I can see how God um, you know, how I can be serving the Lord in this time as an unmarried person. And, you know, it's not necessarily a linear <laughs> progression. Um, but I just, I was really struck by Mark's gospel and the kind of the impossibility um, of, of, like it seems like, it can, when you're unmarried, it can seem like an impossibility to be unmarried and faithful to the Lord and not to be having sex and, you know, not to be um, indulging certain lusts and things like that. And I think from what, what I've understood from Mark's Gospel is Jesus says, that is an impossibility for you yourself, but it is not for me. And I think that's such a, you know, so when Bartimaeus cries out to Mass, from Massey, um, uh to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And, and Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And it's kind of like, in one sense, we cry out to the Lord. If you're an unmarried person here and struggling with that, then, then like, I think what I've been struck with is that we need to cry out to the Lord. This seems impossible to me. You know, <laughs> help me see how to trust you. And, and to just, you know, that, that, that he, he is the one who can help us do one day at a time, go one step along the road, picking up our cross and, and, and fighting the temptation 
whatever it might be, to sin sexually, to become, to just create a world that's all about us, whatever our temptation is not, as an unmarried person today, at whatever stage of life we're at. And, and that obviously is true for a married person as well, but that's just how I've been thinking about it. Good. Well, there are so many good questions here. I'm afraid uh, a number won't be able to answer. What is Paul referring to when he mentions the present crisis? Some people think he's referring to a famine that was going uh, and was going on when Corinthians is written. Um, uh, some people think it's just that the time is short that Jesus is coming back, and, and that was the way that um, I think it's best to understand it. And you can read more on that. And um, here's a question to finish with. Um, and we're going to, uh, I think it'd be good if, if all of us um, answered these. How come, it's about how we, how we, what we can learn as a church. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's important for us to repent of ways in which, you know, we might have implied that being unmarried was like a disease, as that person said, um, or uh, ways in which, you know, we might have implied that being married was being sorted. You know, we've so much to repent of. But what can we learn going forwards? How uh, can we as a church extol that being un unmarried is not second best? How can we as a church family support or promote singles to not feel lonely or practically speaking support them when culture and church culture is designed to support or advantage the married in those tax benefits or mums and toddlers groups or meal trains just for new mums, that kind of thing? Um, good question. How can we encourage unity and interaction between married and unmarried at Trinity to see the church family operating, sharing as one body or the bride? Um, uh, so um, I'll go first. I think keep reading scripture. It's fantastic, isn't it, the way that we constantly, we were just saying on our table, 1 Corinthians 7 is so clear. Um, we need to allow it to challenge us over and over again. And we need to pray for transformation. We need to pray for for permanent change in our lives so that we learn to understand each other better. And we need to form friendships where we're listening and talking, where we're able to express ourselves um, humbly and we're patient enough to listen to what other people are telling us. Okay, Jordan. Thank you. I was struck by a conversation just around our table um, where, we, um, where it was just the importance of being honest with each other, um, but also the very great blessing of being in, as Madish has been teaching us, in our different situations. Um, and the blessing that it is to have people in different situations alongside each other. So for example, um, when people bring their children to church, we are able to share in the raising of those children in Christ all together. Um, when people use their time to make gifts, when people um, welcome people into their homes. I think also I'm struck by the fact that sometimes we can miss pain in the life of others. Um, in these matters, um, and that listening to one another from the heart um, is really, really important, and finding time to find out and listen and care for one another and honour one another when people are taking huge strides to live for Christ and to honour the life um, that people are living for Him. And particularly because the time is short, I would just put another plea in there. Um, to make decisions about 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 us first in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming back to Um Yeah, I would add two things, I guess. One is uh, just in the questions we ask and the, the conversations we have with unmarried people. 
I found it immensely refreshing actually coming to church that I wasn't constantly being asked, are oh, you dating anyone? Why don't you ask this person out on date? Would you want me to set you up with somebody? And um, I, I, I found we, we don't have that opportunity, which is amazing. But when you do get it from a, a Christian brother or sister, then it is quite creative. So, um, <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you think, well, we should be, we shouldn't, we should be affirming that it's good to be unmarried. Um, and so I think just having that in your mind. And we, we also talked about the danger of going too far in that, in, in the sense that you don't want to not ever ask someone who's unmarried, how are you doing? And like, are you finding singles a struggle? Um, so there's definitely balance there. Um, and then on the, the, the practical side about supporting unmarried um, members of the church, I've hugely benefited from um, people breaking their homes and you know just having people around for dinner um, and that sort of thing. I remember when I was in between flats at one stage, somebody said, oh, you must be, you must really just need a home-cooked meal or come down to dinner, and that, that made a, a huge difference. But I also think um, I feel challenged on the flip side, being a single person, um, to, to reciprocate. And we talked about that again on our table. Sometimes you think, oh, it's, it's complicated finding time to invite a family round or a, a married couple round um, to, your, to your house. Um, uh, but you kind of have to get over that, I think. And um, yeah, it works both ways. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. I'll say yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think let's, let's pray, pray for one another in the different situations that we are in. I think one of the things that we really struggle to do, I think as human beings, I think this is a human being thing, is um, is to hold two things together as equally good. <laughs> um, and I heard someone describe it, I think there's two pairs of pictures, but I think I prefer to describe it as one picture. Um, and the difficulty is that my experience, I highlight. And so I shine a light on my on, on some, as an unmarried person. I shine a light on that part of the picture, and 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 the and the married part of the picture is, is slightly more in shade, so like they're okay, they're off, you know. And I think we want to we want to maybe it's Dawn's point about understanding the pain or just understanding the struggle and the the different challenges and the different joys that are in that context. Um, but I want to hold both of them together. I think Paul does that in 1 Corinthians 7. That's my understanding of it. I think, I think he, both are good. And I suppose part of our problem of relating is often when we want to elevate the struggles or when we're too caught up in our, you know, maybe the joys of, of, of what, what we've got. Like, we want to hold the whole picture and shine a light on the, kind of the whole picture within the church. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Um, but we'll make it in sense, but I'm going to stop this. Thank you very much for your panel. Thank you. We really appreciate your wisdom. And um, uh, feel free to, to come and chat. And um, maybe if there's some questions that, that you didn't answer, why don't you go and sit down? Thank you very much.